The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. The burning question, I mean, that I think any person that works at Google deserves to receive is in contrasted against the miscellany of all of the questions I'm sure you get. You prefer Matthew or Matt? Oh, it's, you know, so, um, yeah, my, my, so the story, my, my, so my wife would tell you that, um, when I was a child, when I was young, because she's known me a long time, um, right. That I was definitively Matt and that all of my family still calls me Matt, but that at some point, um, in the exercise of growing up and becoming a working adult, I became definitively Matthew somehow. Like, mm, so I was yep, like, yep. no, I, my name is Matthew. I was like, <laughs> and, um, so I, and I don't know, maybe it was just cause there's so many Matthews and so many Matthews abbreviate to Matt that I was like, no, I, I'm Matthew. Uh, but then a weirder thing has happened at Google. And again, I don't know. I don't know when it turns out it happened very early. No one calls me Matt or Matthew at work. Everyone calls me grouty. Like everyone, which is like, I, as things happen in my life, I just update them in on LinkedIn as if it's now right. real. So like yeah. I added earlier this year, I added, I was like, I guess I I'm grouty. I guess that's my name now. It took me eight years to realize it, but that's, I'll just <laughs> update LinkedIn with grouty. I, similar story on my end, right? Like my name's Michael. That's my birth name. That's the, that, that is the name that my mother uses. That, that is the name that when people call me, Mike, she goes, I did not name him, Mike. I named him Michael. Yes. And, but also most popular name of 1982, there were a million Mike's. So going to school, there were so many Mike's and Michael's we had to like start using last initials. There was Michael C. There was Mike C. There was Michael Q. There was Mike Q there. Um, so all my buddies growing up, like I was just Mike to my nieces and nephews. I'm uncle Mike, but similar to you professionally, somewhere along the lines, it was like, no, I'm Michael. And I just started referring to myself as Michael. And my wife calls me Michael and Michael it is. And then something happened. <clears throat> um, my team just randomly one day started calling me MC, Michael Cirillo, MC. So now forever, I've even started signing emails, just MC, MC. just MC. Yeah. And so here we are. Yeah. So I have not updated my LinkedIn though. And I'm looking up your LinkedIn right now Do it. Um, well, and so the, the other part of that, right. Is that I in back in 2019 when I was doing, um, the, in the world pre in the time before the, the, <laughs> right. the think dealer Canada tour, where we went to like five cities at some point during that, in the middle of that, I realized that, and I should have known this before, but like that, my, my job was sorely like, it was just it's answering questions. Like at the end of the day, I'm like the human interface to Google. I'm just right. like a, 
it is the, you know, just ask me to Google something for you or, um, and, uh, <laughs> that's my job is people ask me questions and I Google it for them and reply an email. But, uh, so I, that's why I changed my name to like the answerer of automotive retail related questions, because it's like, that's all I do all day. People are like, what should I do on my business profile? How should I manage my Google ads account? How should I, I've got a question that has nothing to do with Google ads. What should I do? And this is, I'm like, I don't know. Let me Google it. Let me just see what the, Google says before I tell you what that is. You're the use case. Okay. In our office years ago, we had this, this joke because people got to the point where they were asking me such obviously searchable questions all yes. the time. Yes. So I would just use that. What, what is it? LM. Let me Google that for you. It's just a little too passive aggressive. I mean, they pay me to do the Google search. <laughs> I can't send that. To, I've thought about it so many times, but I can't. Like, I can't. can't yeah, unless yeah. it's, if it was somebody I would, like, was very friendly with and they would find it funny, then maybe. But, like, yes. it's. Uh, There's the reverse of this, though. We got to the point where um, my employees, like, it, it became such a joke that they started saying, we should do a reverse service, like a concierge service called let you Google that for me. <laughs> and that's basically, that's what customers are doing to you. They're saying, you know what, Grouty, let you Google that for me. And so that's why it kind of made me giggle. Cause I'm like, that's exactly what, what you've got going on. Yeah. Um, however, you do it with such grace, grace and patience. Oh, I find it's very kind. Thank you. Yes. I mean, anytime I ask you dumb questions that I probably could have Googled, uh, you're always very kind and you respond quickly and usually with some sort of a happy gift that no one was expecting. So I love that you're the man love having you on the show. And I want to, I want to ask you, so Google vehicle ads, which by the way, some people are still calling vehicle listing ads, vehicle listing ads, VLAs. So let's just get that out on the record to the VLA acronym, right? It was too bad. We lost the L that you lost the L, but I mean, now I'm like Google vehicle ads. It just sounds normal to me. Let's get it on the record. It's Google vehicle ads. Now that they've been out in the wild for some time, you're, you're out of alpha. You're out of beta. You're in beta or you're out of public beta, public beta in Canada and the U S. Um, I think early on there was a lot of expectation around, oh, like this is going to replace classifieds and this is going to replace these types of ads that I'm running and it's going to be a lead driver and it's going to do all of these things. And that's not to suggest that it can't do those things. But from where you're sitting, the sheer amount of data that you have access to that you can see, what's what what are you guys seeing on your end as the good placement for where those sit in the overall marketing mix for a dealer? Yeah, it, it's a good question. They are, they were intended and are um, a lower funnel tactic. Like they are a, an intention driven tactic, meaning that, um, you know, I think, yes, early on, uh, and I've heard dealers, marketers say, you know, will this replace, oh, now that I'm doing this, I don't have to do. Right. You know, maybe I don't need to be on marketplaces. Maybe I don't need to be doing search. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, that's not what this does. This is, um, this fills a gap that you didn't know needed to be filled. And this is, um, I mean, it, if you think about it in its simplest form and you think about what Google does with pretty much everything we do in its simplest form, again, like my job title, it's like the consumer's asking a very specific question at this point. They're like, I'm looking for 
this vehicle, you know, new or used, make, model, trim, year, color. I know exactly what I want. Google, give me exactly what I want. And so that's what vehicle ads does in a way. Yes, you could have, you can, people try to replicate that in the search experience. Um, and sometimes that works well, and sometimes it doesn't work as well as people think it should. But in this case, it's it's kind of the added element of the 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 visual nature of the format and the fact that it's built off of the kind of similar backbone as our shopping products, right? And this has been, again, if you kind of, you know, to step out of automotive, which uh, what step out of auto step out of automotive. I don't know. It's <laughs> crazy talk. But if you think about uh, how a how everyone shops for everything, which is I do all of my research online first, right? Unless it's unless I absolutely unless it's like a, this is true, whether it's a television or a computer or a car, right. it's either it's broken and I need a new one right now. So there's that kind of scenario, you know, a scenario B is I need a new computer, but I'm going to spend the next 30 days researching what I should buy, make a decision, maybe go look at one at a Best Buy or, or something, and then decide whether it's convenient for me to buy it online or in person, right? And right. in that, I do a whole crap load of searching. And at some point, I probably get some actual images of laptops, right? I get the, the shopping format of laptops in different places. And so... Um, we didn't have that in the Google search experience for cars because there had been this long-standing concern by our product people that the automotive industry was too much of a bait and switch that the, we kind of had these rules that said the, the price on the page is the price I need to pay. And, um, and the, for a long time, so many dealer experiences, OEM experiences didn't even list a price still don't. Um, right. And in other cases, the price listed was so different than what the person might actually pay that, you know, it, it kind of violated all those sensibilities that our shopping folk had. So um, it's, it's now that's changed a lot. You know, most right. dealers, the majority have real pricing uh, on their, on their web experiences. And in Canada, at least we have like all in pricing rules where it needs to be very close to what the person might actually pay. So the kind of changes in the ecosystem led us to a place where vehicle ads could be a reality. And now they, they kind of fill this in-between spot that I think people didn't know needed to be filled. To answer the other part of your question, how do they work? Well, again, in that universe of take a giant step back from um, automotive, again, crazy talk, crazy. <laughs> um, the, the, we love relevance, right? So when you can ask a very specific question and get a very specific answer, inevitably those are cheaper clicks. Those lend to, you know, less expensive CPAs, transactions, leads, whatever, where, whatever goal your campaign is looking to, to solve for. And so vehicle ads in that nature are a very specific answer to a very specific question. And because of that very high relevancy end up being, you know, cheaper clicks end up being most in most cases, cheaper leads. And so in the case studies that we've published both in Canada and the U S that's the, the trend. It's like these result in, you know, cheaper CPAs at a higher conversion rate resulting in better business outcomes. So, yeah. And I love the, the other, I guess, byproduct of this, which is 
the data collection piece, not not the customer data collection piece, simply the consumer behavior moving through the funnel piece. Like you said, it's a lower intended to be a lower funnel. Now I'm I'm starting to really if I'm analyzing correctly, I can look at my data and I can start to dial in perhaps to a greater degree, go from volume 10 to volume 11 um, in understanding my specific market. Because I think we do that too often in automotive where we're like, okay, so this uh, study came out and rural British Columbia dealers like that's fantastic, but it's from the GTA. Right. Right. And, right. and yeah, we can get like broad understandings and I'm, we can see commonality, but it's like, but how do people in Vernon, British Columbia with their social, social economic factors and what's happening there specifically in that valley, how, how are they moving slightly different, perhaps in a parallel way, but slightly different than the bigger markets where there might be a little bit more money or you know, whatever it might be. And I think that's really interesting as people can leverage that data. I guess the my whole ramble here is being able to look at that data from a paid perspective, <clears throat> from a vehicle placement perspective and say, oh, oh, that's why perhaps silver Corollas sell better than any other. Like, oh, like the, 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 in- the, the behavior on these is 10 to one, my $120,000 trucks. I think there are a bunch of accidental benefits to running vehicle ads. And, right. that's, and that's one, right? Like the one is, you know, uh, in, the first is if you haven't already done this, I think most dealers have other organizations, maybe OEMs haven't, but uh, it, it forces you to put all your data in one place. Like now you have inventory in a feed. And so um, that's useful. You could use it in a few different places if you were inclined to do that. They right. probably did that at some point 10 years ago for, you know, AutoTrader, Kijiji, other marketplaces, Canada and US, elsewhere. Um, but now it's like going through that exercise and that kind of forces um, a review of the accuracy of that data that I think hasn't happened in a long time, right, which right. alone is useful. Um, it forces a reconsideration of the merchandising of those vehicles, like the photography, the what data are we actually listing when we sell a vehicle. Um, and I think that that's, um, you know, we, we kind of didn't mean to do that, but it, it's kind of created, um, as I've talked to, auto groups, dealers, and OEMs about this exercise, it's really forced them to like rethink um, their data and their merchandising strategy. And um, one might have thought that they were already doing that, but it's clear like it kind of took something like this for them to take a, a bigger step back and understand maybe maybe it's, maybe it's there's room for uh, an image that doesn't have like a giant logo and a bunch of overlays and text all over the place. Maybe it's important to know what color the vehicles are before we list them on the website. And like, just they're simple things, but they're key things that help people get to a decision that um, the sort of deliciously accidentally beneficial by doing the exercise. The accidental benefit of inventory data, cleanliness and insights. Yes. It's like, but but I just went to the auction and you know this this red Dodge Dart was such a good deal. I don't understand why it's not selling. It's like, bro, people want silver 
black, white vehicles. Just give it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's, you know, what, you know, there's a whole other, whole other conversation that can be had around um, a harder to do it at an individual dealer level, but maybe at an auto group level, a, right. and a, a, a separate analysis of just inventory, like to better understand what you could be doing with that data. If you were to dump it into BigQuery, use some tools to analyze it, um, whether those are Google tools or elsewhere, right? Like, um, there are some really interesting things that I think that we could learn and, you know, I, that no one is talking about that would lend themselves to operational changes at a dealership that, um, again, way outside the scope of what vehicle ads was intended to do. But I think it, it becomes a building block to opening up that set of capabilities. So, yeah, you know what I love too. just, I mean, um, I don't know if those listening or watching know this, but Google's one of the biggest companies on the planet alphabet, but Google, we're specifically talking about vehicle ads here and with, with, uh, Matthew, with Grouty, I'm, there you go. I'm just going to adopt it. Um, which by the way, would be an, a, is what I'm going to start calling Bard from now on. You're just going to call Bard Grouty? Grouty. It is now Grouty to me because it like <laughs> is, it's you, it, I'm just thinking of you powering that AI with I'm, your Google searches. I'm probably more likely to swear than <clears throat> Bard is. So, you know, <laughs> might want to keep us Bard can be more diplomatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is this from the sheer size and and almost like mandating vehicle data cleanliness it has encouraged strongly encouraged companies to make sure that the accuracy at source point is more is is there and what i mean by that like just simple application be like wait how come these vehicles got rejected well because duh you forgot the vdp url in the feed and yeah. when you look at some of the big box outlets that do inventory that was not a standard for them to send those types of data fields through and feeds and now it just i i feel like it improves the whole yes. ecosystem and and so i really appreciate that because it just makes the marketing side of things much more effective and fast and it's you know i think it 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 pushes all the way back to the DMS, right? It pushes all the way back to the, oh yeah, this is the, oh yeah, crap, it is the right trim, right color, right? Like it, we have right. all the right data for this vehicle. Right. Um, and that discipline, you know, may or may not have been there before. Yeah. And seeing the things that, you know, it's when I see in a merchant center account where for a dealer that's running vehicle ads, it's most consistently things like, you know, image overlays and color or like VIN that are missing, right? It's like, oh shit, we're right. out of the VIN yet for that vehicle. Maybe. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it does kind of, it does create a, an operational, you know, data cleanliness efficiency that, that I think is new. That is at least right. renewed if it isn't new. Um, I have two questions, but I want to start with this one. Um, obviously, lots of listeners in the United States, lots of listeners in Canada. Are there any differences or nuance running VA vehicle ads in Canada versus the United States that you're seeing? Are there strategies that Canadian dealers are deploying with vehicle ads in their marketing mix that that they should be hyper aware of for maybe those that are just like, Oh, well, you know, I just pay and then they show up and then we're good. Um, I don't think there is 
much difference anymore between Canada and the US. I mean, we it's um, it took us a long time to to begin testing new vehicles. Uh, but now that you know, we've been doing that over the course of the these these last few months in 2023, and now have fully ramped up to 100% of available new inventory queries. So um, at this point, there really isn't a difference. Um, the what I see on and it kind of extends on that data beyond that data quality um, conversation. What I'm I'm starting to see is what clever you know marketers are doing is they're not just making sure the feed is correct, but they're also extending the data, and so they're extending the data in ways to make sure that they have every possible attribute filled out, um, which is kind of an old school, you know, Google shopping trick of sure. like, if I, if I get as detailed, if it's like a Bluetooth speaker and I get as detailed as like, what version of Bluetooth does the right. speaker support then mm-hmm. for very long tail queries, then I'm going to the person who's looking for, okay, well, my phone will support this, you know, Bluetooth V3. I need it on my Bluetooth speaker for the, you know, the super nerdy person that wants that. That's probably both of us. It's probably both of us, but, uh, um, it's true. including things like, you know, heated seats or leather heated seats or, you know, CarPlay, Android auto, all of the supplemental, like y- filling out everything that is in the available format and then using supplemental, supplemental attributes. And then even, you know, constructing the, the names of vehicles a little differently, um, it can render different results. And so you can see that as you start to play in search results to like, I'm looking for this vehicle, you know, this make model trim color year, and then add things like leather seats or heated seats or heated sure. steering wheel. And you can see who's including that um, in the attributes and who isn't. And it changes the vehicles that are listed and the number of vehicles. It It's really... Um, it's interesting to observe who has picked up on that. Like what in Canada, I can see it pretty plainly in the GTA, like which auto groups, which dealers are really leaning in and adding all of the possible, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of sanctioned keyword stuffing in a way, right? Like it's like, just put all of the data about the vehicle in the feed. And then if someone searches for that, we'll show them that vehicle. So right. um, there it's, I think what's surprising is that there's not much more mystery in the effort than that, but it's also then surprising who, who has that amount of control over their own data and who doesn't like who can, Mm. who can bring that to bear and who, who can't. And so that's, that's where things get different. The other levers are where, where people kind of end up um, shooting themselves in the foot um, is conversion setup. So uh, it's, again, it's, it's in the, implementation guidelines, but uh, I think there was a tendency to, um, or especially on a, when you take a dealer's discrete budget in a specific PMA, you're already, that's a set of concentric circles that is also already small, like in the universe of like, you know, regional, whether it's state or provincial or national advertising, you're already working in a pretty finite universe. And so when you then take your fairly limited budget at a dealership, and then you pointed at like 15 conversion points in a campaign, it can't optimize to any of those. Like it can't find them. So um, 
making sure you're only like focused on the three things that matter, like the lead form that converts phone calls and maybe store visits, maybe um, a fourth, if there's a fourth one, that's really maybe the contact us form, whatever's most important, as opposed to like every conversion step on the website, um, you can measure them, right? Measure them as goals. Awesome. Have them as secondary conversions. Great. But don't make all 15 of them the primary right. conversion. Right. Um, and then it's the conversion values. So we see because in vehicle ads, the, the default and only available bidding mechanism is to conversion value. Um, right. Again, people often miss the step of actually assigning the values to the conversions and then wonder why the campaign stops performing. It's the, there always tends to be like confusion around setting conversion values. So from, from where you sit, what's your thought process on that? How should... How should dealer be thinking about setting appropriate conversion value? In a in a perfect world, if you knew like what everything was actually worth, worth. You, you would assign what it's actually worth. Right. Um, most dealers in in automotive in general, we we're working with best guesses and proxies. Like we're working with, we think it's it's worth this, and that's okay too. the The thing to really consider when it comes to your conversion values. If if you don't assign a value to the conversion, then Google Ads thinks everything is worth the same. Like if you've got fifteen conversions in there, and for everything from your digital retail starter complete to your lead form to your phone call to like an image carousel, if right. if you don't assign a value to those, then Google's like, well, the image carousel is worth as much as a hard lead, but right. they're so much easier to get. So I'll give you all of the image carousel views you can handle. <laughs> so if you don't tell Google ads, what's more important to you, then it doesn't understand that. And it doesn't optimize to the right conversion point. Um, so it, it really becomes like pick a ranking that makes sense for you, like pick values that make sense, rank it from, you know, X to Y. So there's some amount of spread focus on those three or four conversions that actually matter and let everything else sit as a goal in Google analytics and a secondary conversion in Google. Right. Yeah. Like could, could it not be as simple as saying on average, it costs our dealership, like if, if a dealership was to look at their overall marketing data from first interaction to point of, of online conversion, you know, lead form submission, chat, whatever it might be, and say, okay, well, on average, historically, it's cost us, I'm just spitting out arbitrary numbers, $500 to acquire the, the customer. Could they not just work backwards from there to your point? Like, here's what the you know, basically distribute now that 500 bucks across those conversion events and then allow Google to understand, okay, well, most of the weight sits here. So we're going to optimize for there, but we see now, we see now how important these other things are in mapping to the, the final destination outcome. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly an approach we would recommend. Uh, I, if you don't actually have the values, if you're not an e-commerce site where you can actually pipe the values back into Google ads, um, the, you may want to tighten the spread. So it might be like zero to a hundred, um, right. and then take those top four conversions and say, okay, well, my hard lead is like 80 and then phone Worth, calls yeah. are gotcha. 50. But, um, but the principle is the same. Like the, it's, you, 
build the model that makes sense for your business and then adjust accordingly. It's also not set in stone. It's not like after you've defined these conversions, you can't go back a month later and go, actually, maybe phone calls are more important than I thought. Or so it's, it's really, you know, finding under, like, I think again, it's, it's forcing everyone in the industry to be like, okay, well, what is a lead worth? Which, which people think they know, but don't know. Right. Like as soon as you ask someone like, no, I have no idea what that means. Like what does, what does a lead worth? Um, And I think it's the, the distinction that is different is not what it costs, right? Like it's like, I can get a lead for X number of dollars. Right. So it's not what it costs. It's what its value is, which I think is also an important distinction that we, we, we don't make clear and that people don't understand well. There you go. Just put a hundred percent of the weight of it on the phone call. So we can actually start to gauge how much value we're losing every time we don't handle the phone properly, man. So the, <laughs> I yeah. won't ask for Google's official position on <laughs> that statement. Um, I want to pivot real quick. I mean, obviously um, you've, you've um, Google's just released the addition of new vehicle catalogs to, to the ecosystem. Um, question being, um, with supply chain, com- like I guess the first the the first piece of that is was the methodology to start with used vehicle inventory simply predicated on supply chain issues and that there just wasn't any new vehicles in the system and 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 if so, does that correlate now to what you guys are seeing maybe as a hope point that there is more new vehicle inventory coming into the ecosystem or is that just unrelated <laughs> i mean it sure would have been a reasonable way to think about it but uh <laughs> um i think the the um it was actually even so we didn't know like when we started uh, when global products started building the product and clearly like it's not like we knew there was going to be a pandemic and that we knew there right. wouldn't be new vehicles and that we would focus on used for a while um it was just sort of a happy accident again the the real thinking was that it was less complicated, that uh, state to state, province to province with different rules, different legislation, different sensitivities to PMA and OEM nuances across brands, that uh, if we were going to start with a, a product area in automotive that would allow us to scale and, you know, understand how it worked in our own ecosystem and have enough data to better optimize the product through the kind of pilot alpha and early beta phases that used was good. You know, we collectively provided the feedback and then it was sort of echoed back to us by global product. Like, let's start with used and CPO. Let's understand how the product works. And then let's figure out all of the complexities and nuance that's required to, um, safely, you know, reasonably respect regulations and laws in various regions to, to then release new vehicle into the wild. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, it was those that it was lawyers. It was <laughs> the lawyers. Made us go. No, I'm joking. Sort of joking. Um, you know, and, and, and I guess kind of the second part to that is there is there, I don't know if there is now, but there was that kind of healthy, skepticism of okay like this is really interesting you released a product that's centered on product inventory product when there is no inventory product are you still getting some of that kickback for, from dealers that maybe 
are are still on the fence? If so, what's your response to them? Uh, dual parter to that is um, the sentiment around, well, flip, I'm a smaller dealership in a rural area. How do I even compete on this product against the more national brands, big dealer groups? Yeah, I think the the value proposition of the product um, is very easy for a dealer. So even regardless of how much inventory they have, um, it's like I only have 10 pieces, but I can still create a feed and still run that a campaign. Awesome. Let's still do that. So I, I think the hesitation on the inventory side has been more at the, the group or OEM level where they're like, we don't have vehicles. Why would we go to the trouble to build a feed? Um, the, the, um, yeah, so I think it, it's one of those, it, this is changing rapidly though. Like we can see even in, in recent weeks and recent months that especially on the North American brand side, inventory is coming back. Um, I mean, there, it's, it's a larger question of whether or not that it's the right inventory, but there are, you know, many, many stores, um, have a lot of inventory. The, and the, it's starting to come back in the, Japanese and Korean brands. And I think it's, you know, at least in North America, the, the folk that are still um, inventory constrained are, are really the, the, the European brands, some of your German brands, right? Because there's so much work to just like, let's get the feed up and running and then let's see how it works regardless of whether you have 500 vehicles or, you know, 15, um, the, the feed exercise is the same regardless of, of the number of vehicles. Um, the other thing that's kind of unique to this product that is different than regular search and different than anything anyone might have done previously at a local or regional level, a tier one, tier tier one, tier two, or tier three, is that it's already geolocated. Like it's already the right. local inventory of this dealer within a certain number of miles or kilometers. So yeah. that creates a, an opportunity where even a like a small dealer and a rural market can compete um, and not have to worry about you know colliding or bid collision with what might be going on with larger brands or mm. at an OEM level mm -hmm. because it's VIN specific, right? Which is one of the things I say when I'm when I'm talking to OEMs because they're like the, their first concern is like how do we make sure we're respecting you know, a dealer's PMA, I'm like, well, first off, it's already geolocated and right. we have a default, um, but you can narrow that to, you know, um, whatever the PMA in a campaign needs to be the same way you do in search. I'm like, but then you also have to have the additional like lateral thought process or additional axes consideration of you have to have the vehicle. Like if you don't, <laughs> if, the, if dealer A has, you know, a white version of a vehicle and dealer B does, has a blue version and what the person searched for was white, like the white version is more likely to show up than the blue. The blue might show up if there's no other color variation, sure. but it's sort of like there's this additional element of because it's inventory specific um, and the person is looking for a specific piece of inventory. If it doesn't exist, it doesn't show up. And that goes back to the analysis statement you made earlier around this kind of causes us to, you know, again, start to become aware of, okay, well, if I have too many, you know, vehicles of a specific color that just aren't selling, then maybe I need to, you know, complain to my 
OEM about floor plan, or maybe I need to be, you know, securing different new and used vehicles and thinking about it a different way. I, I love that this is where I, 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 I'm proactively choosing to wind us down on this point because I think it is so critical, you know, in our industry for the last 30 years, we've said, Hey, well, marketing, just spend more, just spend more outspend your competitors and you'll win. Sure. There's maybe a placement for that in the overall marketing mix, but where you're talking about goes full circle as to why a dealership needs a healthy environment in which they can analyze their inventory data, their acquisition strategy, their the types of vehicles that they're purchasing, their aging policies, their, you know, there's just so many things that will help this become much more effective versus just simply saying, Oh, well, like, but I have it. Why don't people want it? You know, I, we were talking to a dealer group down here and they said, you know, our, our OEM has the most days supply of any other OEM in the market. How come people aren't flocking to our store? And I'm like, you know, just, I'm not going to sugarcoat. It's like, cause your products suck. I just, I don't know. Maybe they don't suck, but maybe you're in a life cycle of marketing that product. That's early on. You're trying to educate the market, like think Kia circa, you know, 2001, you know, with their kind of tin can Rio and their like, it's not as simple as, but we have more than anybody else. Right. Yeah. You have more of everything that nobody wants than anybody else. And maybe at some point with enough persistence, you'll be a brand that somebody wants to drive. But simply based on the data right now, you just kind of have to accept where you're at. And so I think of all of that and how it plays into the overall success of this. Right, right. So the the you know the there are two parts to that equation, and it's you know it it centers squarely around the delightful combination of you know demand capture and demand mm. generation. So right. you know, and so vehicle ads and your kind of more lower funnel search exercise um, are about capture, right? It's demand capture. Um, but no amount of demand capture is going to solve for the fact that you have a vehicle that either maybe and not everyone wants or that only specific consumers want. And that there's, you know, classic um, challenge of like, you think everyone knows you have that inventory, but you don't do anything to actually promote it. <laughs> like you don't, right. you don't do the right. things that are required to do the demand generation to make people like you have the most. Does anyone know that? Like, and right. more importantly, do the right people know that Do the, the people, your existing customers who may want to be coming back for that, or the people just like those people, like how do we leverage your first party data? How do we build a real as you say, I'm, res I'm hesitant to say the word full funnel because what if there is no funnel, but that's a whole other podcast. If they're right, right. What if there is no funnel? <laughs> um, but um, like, how do you build a, a, a complete marketing strategy around the fact that you have a collection of data, a historical set of customers, you now have a set of product and maybe that product isn't selling. So how do we connect the dots between all those things to do the right amount of demand generation to make sure that your demand capture tactics are working. And in many cases, um, especially 
with certain brands or in certain parts of Canada and the US, you can't really rely on the OEM to do that. Like that's also, yeah. they're not, they're not necessarily trying to do it with that level of precision and, yeah. or with the same consideration for who you dealership, APC, um, the precision of the exact customer in your, in your area, in your, yeah. you know, your demographics in your area that wants your specific vehicles. So. I love it for the sake of this, not turning into a four hour podcast with multiple parts and volumes. Um, man, I love this conversation. Love what you guys are doing. Obviously, no, you, you know, me and the team love you and, and your team. Uh, appreciate you coming and hanging out with me for, for a little bit this morning. How can those listening get in touch with you and have you do all sorts of Google searches for them? <laughs> uh, I'm easy to Google. <laughs> I'm easy to find. I'm easy to find. You can find me. Like that's a, and I'm pretty approachable. Um, you know, um, for for U.S. friends, I probably can't be so helpful. Um, sometimes I am, um, and uh, LinkedIn is not a bad place to to seek me out there. And I can, if you, I can point you in the right direction of the right Googler in the U.S. Um, because in Canada, there's a you know, we're a much smaller team, but in the US, there's an army of people. Um, Groudon at google.com is uh, the email address. So, and uh, what I love about the industry is that people are actually very respectful. Like very early on, um, I very liberally have given out my email address to people to be like, right. if you need help, you know, right. Groudon, like Groden at G-R-O-W-D-E-N at google.com. I'm easy to find or Google me, find me on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter, message me, tweet at me, whatever, whatever, whatever mechanism works for you. Um, but also know you probably through, you have a great resource in whatever partner agency or marketing team you're already working with. So maybe start with them first. And uh, I love Witt's post recently about the, like maybe talk to your agency before you fire them. Like, which is a, <laughs> a thing that I say, um, regular, like maybe before you fire your agency, you just want to talk to them. Maybe you just want right. to talk to them first, express why you're not happy and see if they can fix it. Um, crazy um but uh yeah i'm easy enough to find and so if you want to reach out and chat or talk about vehicle ads or anything else in the greater Googleverse, i'm more than happy to, to talk about that matt grouty Groudon. thanks for joining me on the dealer playbook podcast thanks for having me I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.